Welcome everybody joining us online, as well as you saw just from that video, a little snapshot of all that God has done in 2022. Uh, it's been an incredible year for us. Uh, by God's grace, we have been able to receive more people through our doors than we have ever received in the past. We baptized more folks this last year. We have been able to serve more people beyond our walls. It's just been an incredible year. And so I just want to say thank you to those of you who have partnered with us in doing that, uh, not only financially, but just in terms of your service. You know, we're extremely grateful and just super humbled by all that God has done in a relatively short amount of time. We just ask that you prayerfully consider whatever God lays on your heart. If you wanna help us finish the year strong, if you have any questions about our bigger, smaller, deeper uh, efforts here at the church to expand uh, the footprint that we have, um, not only here, but again, beyond our walls, we'll have a couple of our board members right out there in the lobby and they'd love to answer any questions that you have. We are scheduled to start our remodel the end of uh, March, first part of April. That'll be the remodel of the lobby, and then also the entire kids' area will completely get redone. So continue to pray for that. Uh, Pastor Steve mentioned five services uh, this week. It's going to be incredible. What I've been saying the whole time is, listen, if you invite your friends and your family to church, I will invite them to change. You can see by the banners on the wall, our theme is from cradle to cross to crown. You really can't talk about Christmas without talking about Easter as well. Jesus was born essentially to die. And so one of the things that, uh, that we do here at Illuminate is we take the words of Jesus seriously. He said, if you lift me up, I will draw people to myself. And there's no better season or even way to lift him up than uh, by participating in, in one of our five services this week. Uh, Christmas is a week from today, falls on a Sunday, so we won't be meeting together, but at 9 o'clock and 10.30, you will be able to access uh, on our, through our website, uh, on demand as well, um, a little 20-minute service that the worship team and myself have put together. I'm leading just a little devotional that you can uh, participate in with the people that you're gathered with on Christmas Day. So if you go to illuminatecommunity.com, you can check that out as well. So today I'm gonna to do something a little different. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's not really a traditional Advent sermon. And let me tell you the inspiration behind it. Years ago when my kids were little, we were having this conversation. I think every Christian parent gets a little concerned this time of year because kids can be so focused on what they are going to receive. So as we were sitting together as a family, I said to the kids, I said, well, let's talk about this. What are some of the gifts, what are some of the things you can bring to Jesus this year? And my daughter's very perceptive, perceptive. something about the, the little girls in the family. They're always a little bit more aware of things than the little boys in the family. She said, well, Dad, Jesus already owns everything. So I had to take another angle. And I said, well, let's talk about this. <laughs> what are the gifts that Jesus brings to you? So like if you picture yourself gathered around the Christmas tree, right? And there's a bunch of gifts. And they're all labeled you. From Jesus, and as you open each one, it's rather unexpected because the gifts, they're not really material objects. They're spiritual. And as you open them, you realize, wow, this is actually what I've always wanted, but maybe I didn't realize that I actually needed it. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at all those gifts, two, three specifically. We'll see how much time we have to get through them. But gifts that Jesus brings to you 
at Christmas. So the first one, Jesus mentions himself. And the context has him with his disciples. He's been ministering with them for three years, and now he's about to go to the cross. And so he says, guys, it's time for me to check out. I'm about to go to, to the cross, give my life, and I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm, I'm going to be leaving. And the disciples get a little mental over this because they're like, what's going to happen to us? Maybe it feels kind of sudden. And Jesus says, I've got something for you. Hey, I've got something. Just, just listen to what I'm about to say, and I think you'll feel better. And then he drops this on him in John chapter 14. He says, peace. I'm going to leave you with peace. And then he says, it's my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is really interesting because what he does is he contrasts the world's peace with his peace, right? He says, my peace I leave to you, which is different than the world's peace. How so? Well, the world's peace is temporary at best. Countries are always breaking peace treaties with one another. People aren't always at peace. And if we've discovered anything, guys, over the last few years, the smallest things can disrupt the peace amongst the closest of friends. You really thought you liked that person until you discovered their politics, which everybody seemed to want to put on display. And all of a sudden, it's like lifelong friendship imploded. Jesus says, I want to give you peace, but not the kind of peace that you will experience in, in the world. It's my peace. So we have to understand exactly what, what he's talking about, because I think sometimes we, you know, it gets lost on us. Um, he's not talking about the kind of peace that is absolutely devoid of, of conflict, uh, in fact, a couple chapters later, he says this to his guys. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Notice the location of the peace again. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Ultimately, he's going to overcome the world through his resurrection. That's sort of the exclamation mark on all that Jesus is and who he said he was. It's like, well, prove it. Okay, I'll come back from the dead. I've overcome the world and the things of this world, specifically what you all are so terrified of, and that is death, because it seems so permanent. Not if you know me. I have overcome the world. But you're going to have tribulation here and now. Now, these, these, these boys didn't realize it fully at the time, but essentially they're pretty much all going to die the death of martyrs. So peace can't be tied to our circumstances or our, our lot in life. There's something about the peace that Jesus brings that transcends it. It even transcends your fear or discomfort with death. This is actually the very reason why Jesus came. Mark chapter 10 says, the son of man, that's a reference to Jesus himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And he says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many people. Now, when you hear this, especially the word ransom, it's, it's got the idea of, uh, you know, like, uh, like a, being kidnapped, right? Because a ransom note is something 
that's given and what's requested is something in return and then the person is set free. So you're being held ransom. Jesus says, people are being held ransom and I came to set them free. Now, immediately you might be thinking, I've never been kidnapped, I've never been held ransom. You have and you are. And the, the insidious thing about it is that you probably might not even fully be aware of it. I'll show you. We all have this overwhelming tendency to serve ourselves first and foremost. This is why the world is so jacked up. The Bible describes this with this really simple three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. It describes our overwhelming tendency to want to serve ourselves, to want to disobey what God might have, and to sort of rule our own worlds and place ourselves on the throne. That's a sinful disposition that we all have. And we're held captive by it. Um, And unfortunately, it's really, really difficult to break free. Now, when I share this, oftentimes people are, are, are a bit resistant uh, because, you know, we, generally we don't like to think there's anything wrong with us. But um, let's have some fun with it for a second, okay? Let's just have some fun with it. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Don't answer out loud, <laughs> okay? All right, don't raise your hand, all right? But let me, just, let me just ask you a few questions. Let's just, like, you know, let's just have fun. Let's just start with, like, the basics, okay? Like the Ten Commandments, okay? Question. Have you ever stolen anything in your life? Yeah, that's number seven. Have you ever deceived somebody? Yeah, that's number eight. Have you ever had jealous thoughts about what somebody else owns? Well, that's command number nine. Have you ever had jealous thoughts about someone else's spouse? That's number 10. You know, it's snowbird season. God bless them. No offense. (laughs) Have you ever wished that some people just like would disappear? (laughs) We love our snowbirds. We love them. I have relatives that are snowbirds. You know, just, just the thought that, man, I just wish that you were just gone. Like, like, like literally, like, like to regard a human life as being worthless. One might say you have a murderous heart. That's number six. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? That's number five. Have you ever worshipped something or desired something more than God himself? That's number one. What do we just just rattle off? Six or seven? With a 70% failure rate right there. So so let's say we miss the mark. Let's let's say we sin or we break break the law uh, 10 times a day, seven days a week. Uh, In a week, what is that? 10 times, 70 times. We call it seven times. In a year, 752. Whoa, the number starts to get big. 
year after year after year. And so let's say you're standing before a judge and you're like, you know, you're like 80, 90 years old and the judge is like, well, let's, let's see, let's see. How many times did you break the law? I went, you know, well, I'm 80 years old and, oh, I'd say, you know, several thousand times. What are we going to do about that? Well, I think you should just let me go. Really? What about all the other people that break the law? Well, they should be punished. See the difference between grace and mercy? We always want mercy when we do wrong, when other people do wrong, right? We're, we're kind of like, give it to them. The reality is we're, we're all lawbreakers, and, um, and, and this is really, really a challenge um, because this is a problem, because God is just, and he can't just turn a blind eye to all the bad things that happen. Um, and so, uh, <clears throat> so, so what's interesting is that part of the Christmas story is that when the angel declares peace on earth, see, it's weird. It's like this baby's born and the angel says, message, this baby represents peace on earth. And then what often gets misquoted, the text literally says, peace on earth upon those who have the favor of God on their lives. The text actually doesn't say peace on earth and peace between men. The text doesn't say that. The text says that Jesus came so that you could have peace between you and the God who created you. When you have that kind of peace, guess what? Then you can have peace between humans. But it starts by you making peace with God. So Jesus comes and he says, you've all been kidnapped and you're all held hostage. And for some of you, the worst part of it is you don't even realize it. But I have come to pay your ransom. Um, but there's more to it. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, you know, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. Thieves break into your house. You know, they're making a mess of things. They're not like politely going through your objects. You know, well, this looks sentimental. Let's not take that. If it's a value, they're going to take it. Jesus says, I came that they may have life. But that they, this is interesting, that they might, they might have life abundantly. So this is a gift that everybody wants. Every, everybody wants to live a better life. Have you seen this newest ad for Google? It's super interesting. Apparently, <clears throat> according to Google's search review for 2022, there's this universal a trend of people wanting to change their habits and to pursue a happier life. Have you seen this ad? In, in the search bar, they type, how can I change? And then it's like, dot, dot, dot. In other words, what they're saying is that there's a, gen- this is interesting, there's, there's a general discontentedness amongst people. I need to change. Something needs to change. I don't want to keep being like this. I don't want to keep living like this. How can I change? Now, what's fascinating is that Jesus speaks to this issue. It's like, what you're really searching for is an abundant life because you're not real satisfied with the life you're living now. So here's the deal. Jesus says, I'm not really talking about the traditional things of this world where people, where people find happiness. I'm not talking about material possessions. Here's how we know. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store, store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? That's the punchline. You're way more valuable than the birds. So I've mentioned this before. It's just this observation, right? It's like, if you look at uh, the common sparrow, you ever notice how they're like identical? They're like the same weight, size, shape. They're just like super. It's like when you're looking at a, a, a bunch of sparrows that are lined up, let's say like on a power line or something like that, and, and, and they all look the same. You never you see the power line. You never see the, you see the big sparrow with, that's like weighting the power line down. You know what I'm saying? Like that, you know? You're like, whoa, look at that big fella. You know, he's like 50 times bigger than all the rest of the sparrows. No, they're all like the same. Why? Well, God gives them exactly what they need to live. It's going to be okay. God will provide for you as well. See, if the abundant life meant having lots of material things, then Jesus would have just, he would have been dripping. You know, he, he would have had it all. And yet he comes on the scene. He's like, I'm king, everybody. I'm king. Coming to establish a new kind of kingdom, kingdom of heaven principles, very different than the kingdom of earth. I've got a peace that you've never experienced here before. That's kingdom of heaven kind of peace. And... I'm homeless. The Bible says Jesus had no place to lay his head. And so everybody's like totally befuddled. They're dumbfounded. They're like, who is this guy? And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to fit in your box. You're just going to have to observe, watch my life, see what I do, and believe in me. Because there's a larger purpose at at, at play here. Back up a few verses in John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. And the beautiful thing about a shepherd, good shepherds, they, they're not selective in, in the sheep that they, they look after. They're not like, oh, I like this one. I don't like this one. I'll take care of you. You, you're outside the fold. Uh, you come, come inside. Okay, yeah. Okay, great. Okay, good. Now, that, that's great. No, see, what happens is Jesus says, I'm, I'm here and I'm a good shepherd. And... Um, when my sheep hear my voice, that's all it takes. They come and they follow me, and then those, they're, they're in. And, and, and sheep aren't all the same. And Jesus accepts, accepts them right where they're at. So this is really helpful because so often in life, we try to be something we're not. How can I change? For dudes, a lot of times it's just like, man, you know, you got to be more alpha than the next guy. Or for the ladies, it's like we got to do something to our appearance to make us a little bit more appealing and attractive, make us stand out. And Jesus comes on the scene. He says, you know, you can just, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Just, you know, just, it's not about that. I'm, I'm for you and I accept you as you are. Uh, this is a real challenge for us today because um, we live in a culture that prides itself on being who we are not. We live in a culture that thrives off of the projection of controlled imagery. People ask me why I'm not on social media. Well, this guy named Malcolm Muggeridge wrote a book called Christ in the Media many, many years ago, and he influenced me greatly. And if you're on social media, that's cool, but let me just explain why I'm not. In this book, he puts forth the idea, and again, written a long time ago when, when television was becoming more and more popular, and he, he theorized, well, what, what, what if Jesus was given a, uh, like a television show? What if he was given a, a, a contract where he would, was given airtime 
on television? Would he use TV as the medium to promote himself? Pretty interesting question. Now, Malcolm Muggeridge, super brilliant guy, came to faith in Christ later in life, was one of the guys who was very instrumental in giving birth to the BBC, deep in the game. And he says, I don't think, I don't think Jesus would, and here's why. He calls it the seduction of the lens. In other words, what he says is everything you're looking at, and you know this to be true, is, is cultured, it's shaped, ultimately for one purpose. You know what that purpose is? Reaching in your back pocket and grabbing your money. It's the seduction of the lens. And so we, that, it's become more and more amplified, right? Fast forward several decades since he wrote the book, and it is, it's, it's about image control. And even if we put something out there that doesn't seem to feed our image in the way that we would want it to, then you, you get nailed for virtue signaling, right? So it's just, a, it's just a kind of a crazy world that we live in. It's always the highlight reel. It's always the best of. And then we look at that and compare ourselves to other people, and we're like, I guess I got to do better. Meanwhile, Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, Stop. It's not about that. Just understand you know, who I am and, and, and the situation that you're really in is you've been kidnapped and you're being held hostage to all that stuff and I came to give you peace and set you free from that. So, so it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Now, of course, the challenge with all of this is that um, we tend to think that we're better than ourselves. I have this, this goofy theory that there's so many people that are fans of true crime. You guys, anybody here a fan of true crime? Like, you know, like the documentary. So, so, so right now, like on Netflix, the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing is like super popular. Right? People are like into serial killers right now. So it's kind of, but I have this theory on it, right? Um, there's always somebody that we can look to that's so jacked up, we feel so much better about ourselves. It's like, you know, I've been really hungry before, but dude, come on, you know? You're like, bro, you gotta chill out a little bit. Like, come on, you know, this is getting weird. And, Thank God I'm not like that. And we showcase the absolute worst case scenario of humanity. And the rest of us feel like, all right, maybe, maybe I'm not so bad. Um, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, I have not come to call the righteous. Now, what's interesting about the context of this conversation is he's having it in the midst of all of these religious people who think they are righteous. And that's actually what we call self-righteousness. He says, but I came to call sinners to repentance. This is really, really profound. Um, this word repent literally means to place the mind or to change the mind. So formerly you thought this way about God, you have got to change your thinking. Formerly you thought this way about the Bible, but you've got to change your thinking. You, formerly you thought this way about who Jesus is and what he came to do, but now you've got to think differently. All those thoughts, need, you need to repent. You need to change your mind. Put your mind in a different place and receive the good words of, of God's word. Um, and, and it's really, really challenging because, again, our overwhelming tendency is to, is to get stuck in, in our current forms of thought. One of the most difficult things to change is, uh, is, is the human. Uh, you have to see yourself for who you are. I thought I was a pretty selfless guy until I got married, right, guys? Some of you married guys, you kind of understand how that goes. I thought I was a pretty selfless guy. I really did, you know? Then all of a sudden, you know, you're standing across from this woman and she's the absolute love of your life, and you don't know what you don't know. You're two very different creatures. And as you enter into this relationship, you're learning things about yourself. 
your own selfish tendencies. You have to think before you speak. And there's a million and one opportunities to displace because the reality is you have got two sinners marrying each other. So just simple things. Um, being a little bit more thoughtful. You, you don't want to say, for example, th- th- those of you who are engaged or, or you're, you're recently married, just simple observations, guys, have to be thought through. For example, don't say, did your jeans shrink? That's an observation, and it's an honest one. You might be thinking, that's an honest, an honest observation. That's not what you, how you want to say it, right? <laughs> Did you do something to your hair? It's an honest observation. That's not how you say it. Right, because th- there are these human sensitivities that are, um, they're fueled by human insecurities, and we all have them. And sometimes we're, we're not as selfless as we, we think we are. And even if with, with what I've just done there, I don't know if you noticed it, but I gave you a really shallow and benign example. Pretty harmless, silly. Um, and what I've kept from you are the more serious things. Uh, what if, to this point, we were able to record every thought you had over the last seven days. Every thought, every selfish, dark, those moments when you kind of went into your own little private closets and did your thing. What if that, all of that was exposed and we put them on the big screens? And we passed the popcorn or the barf bag. So you have to appreciate how sober the Bible is in its honesty with the human condition. And we all fall under it. And so when Jesus says, let me tell you why I'm here, we've all, we've all, we've all been kidnapped, people. Jesus says, I came to pay a ransom. Um, you know, one, one of the great privileges of being in pastoral ministry is that you get this front row seat to uh, people's uh, very, very personal struggles and heartaches. Um, and how many times do you hear people saying, Christians saying, I just can't imagine going through this and not knowing Jesus. Just can't imagine that. And what they're saying is, is, is that there, there's hope. There's hope that God can take tragedy and turn it into something beautiful. There's hope that God can take even the the painful circumstances and somehow lead them toward an abundant life. Uh, I think the demonstration of this is when Jesus is confronted with the death of his friend Lazarus and he shows up, I'll just summarize it for the sake of time, he shows up on the scene and everybody's like, dude, you're late to the party. He died. (laughs) And Jesus knows that he's gonna bring him back to life. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus weeps. See, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse as it's translated into English. Jesus wept. And and you read that and you're like, well, why are you crying? Because you're going to bring him back from the dead. I think Jesus cries because he knows that people die apart from knowing him and apart from having an eternal life with God. 
So here's what's interesting about the words of Jesus. He spent a lot of time talking about an eternity apart from God. And Jesus was very visual. And in order to help people understand what this was like, he used a common reference. Just outside the city of Jerusalem was a valley, the Valley of Gehenna. It's where people dumped their trash and then they'd set it on fire. So it was this place, it was just awful. It's always on fire, smoke, it smelled. And Jesus said, you know, you're all gonna live forever. You're all gonna spend an eternity in one of two destinations either in the presence of God, which is a literal heaven, or apart from the presence of God, which is a literal hell. Well, what's that gonna be like? Well, let me give you a reference, Jesus says. He uses the word Gehenna, and he's talking about that dump that's on fire. He's like, we don't want people there. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's just how serious God takes it. And, and it makes sense because that's why the world is so fragmented. And so God, that has to be dealt with. God's way of dealing with it, or you might say paying the ransom, is by sending his son to die on the cross. Because his blood is perfect, it covers it all. And, and, and yet um, Jesus cries at the death of, of his friend Lazarus because he knew personal pain. And, uh, and at the same time, there's a much larger picture in view for humanity. He doesn't want people dying in a hopeless state apart from him. So I think probably most every parent has had the experience of searching for the perfect Christmas gift for their child. Christmas morning, the kid rips into it, and for a solid 10 minutes, they're so happy. Then they discard it, maybe even move on to the box. <laughs> then a week goes by, two weeks, a month. Hey, that gift is forgotten. Do you remember what you got last year for Christmas? It's completely forgotten. And sometimes I wonder if that isn't how God feels. I was like, I've given you these amazing gifts. They're the gifts you need, they're the gifts you really want. Follow me, and I will give you the kind of life that you've always wanted, free from the demands and expectations of others. I can give you eternal life. I can give you peace. And we're like, where's the box? Day before Christmas, too late to order anything on Amazon. <laughs> Stores are crowded. Lines are long. People are getting agitated. One guy standing in line says, man, I tell you what, they should just, they should kill the guy that invented Christmas. <laughs> Lady behind him says, they did. They hung him on a cross. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's your gift. There's a reason why John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. Because not only does it explain what God did, but it explains his motivation, the heart behind it. 
for God so loved the world that he gave. God is the ultimate giver. Cradle, cross, crown. So there's probably no better way than to end uh, the year than by remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because you can't get to the crown without the bridge of the cross. So I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just spend a few minutes contemplating this. This is something that Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years because Jesus commanded them to do it. Of all the things he told us to remember explicitly, he says, remember my death. Because in my death, you'll actually find life. Not only abundant life here and now, but eternal life in the life to come. Pretty good gift giver. The Apostle Paul says that we should approach this time in a way that is worthy of what Jesus has done. That might be a time of both repentance, reflection, gratitude. There'll be some verses on the screen if you want to meditate on those as well. And after a couple minutes, I'll be back up and lead us through. Passover meal, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he tells them, this bread is my body and it's broken for you as often as you eat the bread, do so and remember me. Then he takes the cup. This is the cup represents a new, new covenant in my blood, 
because Jesus was without sin, that sinful weight of the world's dysfunction could be placed on him. So now when God looks at the sinner, he looks at the sinner as being forgiven, justified, because the ransom has been paid. And that's literally what this cup represents. This, this was your ransom note. And interestingly, it could only be paid by one person, and he was willing to do it. He says, as often as you drink the cup, do so and remember me. Father, our desire is to live in light of the cross and to understand all that it means to walk in a way that is worthy of what you have called us to. We will receive gifts. We will give gifts. But I pray that this season you would continue to impress upon our hearts the true gift giver. God, that is you. And the role Jesus plays in securing our eternal destination, giving us that abundant life, that peace. Lord, so many things uh, tend to disrupt the true meaning of Christmas. As we get together with friends and family, there can be different stresses and points of contention. I pray that the life of Christ through us would give us the peace that you promise. And Lord, will you keep us mindful of what is to come? Lord, even through the pain and the heartaches that we have, we know that you redeem all of those things. And the greatest proof of that is what you were able to do through the cross. Truly, God, you are with us. That name, Emmanuel, is significant because what it means is that you are not a God that is distant, but you have actually come near and you are involved in humanity. The motivation, your love. And for that, we're grateful. Pray for everybody in the room. Perhaps some have been far from you. God, nobody's here by accident. Pray that your spirit would be speaking loudly even now, that they would sense your love, your grace, and your mercy. We ask it all in the name of the one who makes it possible, and his name is Jesus Christ, and God's people said, amen. <laughs>